0: Hello and welcome to A Sound Effect Podcast, the podcast about sound effects. My name is Christian Halesker from Hertz & Bits Sound Effects. And I am uh, Esbjørn Andersen from Soundeffect.com.
1: Thanks a lot for listening. Now, before we begin this uh, second episode of the uh, Sound Effect Podcast, I just want to say a huge uh, thank you for, for the enthusiastic response to the first one.
0: Yeah, great feedback and lots of uh, great commentary, and it's good to know that you like it, and that's really motivating. Yeah, it is, definitely. Now, uh, for this episode, we'll be taking a, a listen to some of the exciting new libraries that have come out. And and uh, I believe you also have an interview coming up for us today, right? Yeah. I've been speaking to the guys at Boom.
1: And if you follow Independent Sound Effects, you've probably heard about them. Oh, yeah. They do a lot of really outstanding libraries. I yeah. think it's very high-quality stuff. So uh, I had a, a good talk with them, and that's coming up a little later. In.
0: I'll be curious to hear their tricks. Yeah. <laughs>
1: They're giving away all their, their secrets, so uh, you better listen. Yeah, Christian, <laughs> you've
0: also uh, been doing a bit of traveling. I hear. I have. Yes, I have. I uh, recently uh, went to Japan for a week. Uh, Tokyo, actually. Very nice. Uh, mostly, uh, yeah, mostly for a vacation uh, to visit a friend, but of course, I brought some recording gear. I had to, right? Uh, and I'm uh, I'm going to. Uh, to uh, play some sounds for you and uh, also to talk a little bit about field recording and in Tokyo in specific, but also sort of general thoughts about it. So uh, that's coming up. I look forward to hearing that as well. All right, let's get started.
1: Welcome to the uh, sound effect highlights section. Watson Wu has uh, released a special collection of weapon sounds. It features rifles, pistols, and revolvers from World War One and World War Two. Gets you twelve authentic weapons in total, and they're recorded from many different uh, perspectives. Watson has a lot of experience recording weapons, so if you're um, after weapon sounds from World War One or World War Two, this is definitely worth checking out. Let's have a listen to uh, a quick demo. There's just been a new installment in the uh, Gateway series released. It's from uh, the library by MTC. And it delivers more than 600 sounds from all kinds of doors. And it's not just regular doors. It's also gates, lockers, sliding doors, aircraft hangar, doors, and lots and lots more. And you can also get it along with uh, Gateway Part 1. That one comes with uh, 1,200 sounds. So if you get both, you will get more than 1,800 sounds in total. So if you ever need the sounds of anything opening and closing, it's definitely worth checking out, I think. Let's have a listen to a quick preview. Footsteps 1 is a library from a uh, Finnish uh, sound recordist and uh, sound designer Passi Pitkinen and it gets you uh, footsteps recorded in a remote Finnish forest. Uh, some of the surfaces include grass, gravel, pine needle ground, forest plain, wood scrap, deep snow, packed snow and stuff like that. All in all it comes with more than uh, 1800 sounds of walking plus uh, scuffs and stomp sounds uh, with a lot of variations. So. Uh, a pretty extensive collection of footsteps uh, and on some surfaces you don't really find that often. Let's have a listen. Sometimes you just need the sound of uh, rain, and U.S. Uh, US sound designer and recordist Chuck Russom has bundled two of his popular Rain sound Vic libraries into one handy package. It comes with more than uh, 30 minutes of rain recordings in total, and as I understand it, it's been captured in the middle of the night to ensure that um, the sounds are as noise-free as possible from, from any sort of outside, non-rainy sounds. And uh, what can I say about rain sounds? They just sound nice. Let's uh, have a quick listen to some of the, the scenes included. Now, if you've been getting sounds from a sound effect that come in the past few months, you've also been receiving a free copy of a library called Cinematic Micro. That's a cut-down version of uh, a larger library from uh, Soundmorph called Cinematic. And uh, I've got some pretty exciting news for you, because the uh, Soundmorph team has just released the Cinematic Neon expansion. It's a collection of uh, brand new sounds in the Cinematic series in the sort of same style as the, as the previous libraries and it gets you uh, synthesized impacts, static glitched hits, organic slams and electric punches. It comes with uh, more than 300 sounds in total and uh, they uh, pack quite a punch. Let's have a quick listen to uh, one of the demos. I'm here with um, Axel and Michael from uh, Boom Library. They have a very big catalog of sound effects and they have a very high standard, I think. So uh, I was really interested to hear how they do it and what they do and how they approach the whole um, independent uh, sound effects scene in general. So, um, Axel and Michael, thanks a lot for taking the time to do this interview for your sound effect podcast. Could you guys introduce yourselves? Just tell me a little bit of who you are.
2: Uh, I'm Axel. I'm Michael. And we found the uh, BOOM library in 2010, Uh, in the meantime we produced more than 30 libraries uh, with diverse categories like uh, normal animal uh, series, uh, weapons and abstract content like uh, the sci-fi library and magic library as well as a nature series uh, with more focus on uh, ambulances and um, real uh, environmental recordings, um, which is the Quiet Planet series.
1: You've got 30 libraries, that's quite a few.
2: Yeah. Wow. So
1: how did Boom get started?
3: Actually, Axel and me, we met at Dynamedian company, the biggest game audio company in Europe, where we've both been working. Axel came up with the idea, why not release stuff that we recorded for our everyday work and see if the people like it. So basically, uh, we had to record a lot of trailer stuff for ourselves. This is where the... First boom library the metal impact was born so Axel and me we recorded a bunch of uh, metal impacts we had we needed for some trailer sound design we released it and the first boom library was born after that and in addition we've also recorded over the years tons of creature stuff, uh, creature stuff we did for monster sound design and just by editing it, we had the Creatures Construction kit. So these were our first two libraries. And we had no idea back then where the story would go. And now we have 30 libraries, which is pretty
1: crazy. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> From the outside, I think Boom seems like a, a very big company. Who is behind Boom?
2: It's basically just uh, Michael and me doing all the Content or a lot of content. Um, we do have uh, occasional help from from other sound designers like Tristan Horton who's living in uh, South Africa or David Phillip who's living in uh, Great Britain. But basically most of the things are coming from Michael and me. <laughs> we do have some help from Benedict who does all the marketing related things and uh, Pierre who founded the Boom Library together with me um, who's doing all the management side of things so writing invoices and uh, doing the Excel sheets um, and all the legal stuff.
1: You came out of uh, DynaMedian in a way, right? Are you associated
3: today with DynaMedian? I'm still working as lead sound designer for DynaMedian. I try to find a good balance between my work for them and for Boom. And I tend to work more for Boom nowadays because it's just still growing and so much to do. Axel, now okay. who began as like me as a sound designer and dynamite, is only working for Boom nowadays.
2: Oh, 90%. Okay. I still do sound effects uh, and uh, cutscenes and stuff to check if the boom library works in uh, real world scenarios that's that's a good
1: thing so it's actually road tested yeah right (laughs) so what when you started out uh, with the boom did you notice any others doing the same thing you were doing back then
2: we have no clue because we didn't do any market research or so before we started uh with the boom library we only knew um the big three everyone knows and used those sound effects so and the big three were uh, sonody's hollywood edge and blastwave okay yeah so yeah we missed a lot of variations especially for game sound design this is very important um but i think also uh for a film work this is a very nice to have uh thing and that is something we missed in the libraries we had um also like high definition audio which was not that common at this time yeah. um it is common right now so yeah we started to record our own things
1: you have a, a huge catalog of, what, 30 libraries. Do you have any sort of favorites that stand out in terms of the experience of making them, for instance?
3: Of course, the the most fun ones were the heavily processed ones like the magic or the sci-fi, where you can just, just go crazy with plugins. Of course, it's a lot of try and error involved, but you try to come up with something fresh and crazy, and this is like getting really into designing stuff and being creative. It's also cool to design like the arrival library or so, but if you're like designing guns for more than a month, it can be really annoying over time in a way. Yeah. Only here like
2: single shots over uh, uh, weeks and weeks. <laughs> that must be hard on the yeah. ears as well. <laughs> but um, I think I really like uh, the creation of, All of them, especially because it's so diverse. So on one day you go out uh, and stand in the forest and a lion is roaring uh, like uh, a meter next to you. The other day going out recording uh, rifles in the desert and the other day sitting in the studio trying out all the plugins you have hands on. So it's the diversity I really enjoy. It's a mix. Yeah, that's true.
1: I guess uh, since you decide what libraries to make, you can really go for what interests you as
2: well. And what we think we can do right.
1: Some of the libraries from you have been most impressed with the animal ones. What's the story behind the, the Wildcats library, for instance? How was that recorded?
2: Um, I got contact to a uh, animal trainer here in Germany and uh, started to record The Lions, which was in different spots, actually. I did a test recording a year before I did the real recordings just to get a feeling of uh, how that might work. It was uh, near a circus and near a uh, busy road, so... I had to do it again anyway, mm. um, and then was in the middle of nowhere. He had a like, is it baby break? He just became father, so he was. Uh, he had a break in the middle of nowhere on a field, and oh, that's I,
1: perfect. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I was able to get there for a week, uh, sitting down next to the lines and record the lines, in all those yeah stinking <laughs> farts. And yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, and after that I thought it uh, since. Lines don't really roar like you would expect it, they are more like snarling and growling, kind, kind of. Um, so it, I wanted to fill this up with a tiger because a tiger is really roar the way you you would think of. And yeah, then I went to Seattle to do the first gun session for our first gun library. And uh, close to Seattle there's the Olympic National Park and there's a game farm. Um, and they have, they had a tiger over there. And I was able to record uh, the tagger there. So half of the stuff was recorded in Germany and the other half in the United States. Yeah,
1: because I can imagine one of the challenges with with doing libraries like that is is finding a location where you don't have all this, like the circus next door, the the highway and stuff like that to get some clean recordings. Yeah. From what I've been hearing, they are very sort of detailed, close-up recordings in these libraries, right?
2: Yes. I was pointing the microphone. It was like 20 centimeters off the mouth of the lion and tiger. And uh, <laughs> the tiger <laughs> jumped at close. me. And <laughs> <laughs> so that was a pretty crazy experience.
1: <laughs> How about the, uh, the Birds of Prey one? That's another one that's really sort of closely recorded. What's the story behind that one?
2: First, we needed to find a bird park where we could record and which granted us access to when the park was closed to public. Yeah. Um, So we found one in South Africa where Tristan Hotton recorded a lot of birds and in Austria and in Germany and recorded them in three different parks. So uh, we were able to record a lot of different animals. The animal trainers were extremely helpful with tips and information and even did some exercises with the birds for us
1: how did you get close to the birds was it easy enough or?
2: um it's a little bit dif- difficult with the windshields because uh, birds mostly think this would be like prey if the bird is uh, big enough or uh, enemy or something oh. <laughs> kind <laughs> of so uh, but yes uh, they were pretty good trained or in cages so they were pretty good
1: it's impressive stuff especially for for creature sound design as well
2: we actually did a lot of creature sound design, for example, for um, The Elder Scrolls Online, and we used them a lot. I can imagine because some of those sounds are
1: pretty bizarre. I think.
2: Yeah, they are. So you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't think of a bird when you hear it that, especially the vultures croaking. It's it's like something from
1: another world. <laughs> You also did a medieval sound effect library, which is huge. There's so much content in there. How did you get that done?
3: The area here is uh, quite well known for its uh, history. We have lots of castles around in this area. And due to that, we also have lots of reenactment groups. Oh. So a friend of mine knows somebody who knows somebody and so forth (laughs) uh, who is in in a reenactment group. And I got in contact with them and they had a massive amount of swords, axes, armor and stuff.
2: So I could borrow it and took it into our recording booth and recorded that. Additionally to that, we found some, some events, some reenactment events on this World Heritage castles around here and uh, they were firing like real catapults oh, and we recorded that but it sounded super boring yeah, so we uh, started to record like elements and we were at a lot of different locations after a long research period and we found some very cool spots to record at for example in in churches or at a uh, wine yard, Um, mm-hmm. and recorded big metal stuff and, and doors and uh, wooden constructions creaking around chains and all that kind of stuff which you need to design a cool catapult Catapult sound.
1: So catapults don't sound really cool in, in real life? Then. No, yep.
2: they
3: don't make that much no. sound. So we, <laughs> we split it into parts so if we, we needed some mechanics, some impact when the catapult hits the wooden bar and stuff like that and we broke it down into these elements and when we thought about, hey, where can we get this and that, and then we recorded like doors and latches and tools and whatever.
1: You often have this uh, design and the construction kit approach to your libraries. Do you build the construction kit first, and then you design from that? or how how does it work?
2: Yeah, we mostly or we always start with the construction kit because uh, we only use the construction kit sources to uh, design the design counterpart. Mm. Um, but we don't do the full construction kit, uh, and mostly during the design process, we figure that something is missing in the construction kit and we evolve both together at a certain point. So we start with uh, with, uh, with some basics in the construction kit and then start to design and then fill up the construction kit with things we think are missing.
1: What are people going for?
2: Most people are going for the bundle and uh, the rest is split into uh, design users and construction kit users. And we don't know what our clients do for a living, so some TV editors or commercial editors might rather go for the design version, which is what they are intended for actually, and uh, the construction kit parts might be used much more by uh, real sound designers who want to be creative and uh, process a lot and know what they are doing. But also having the bundle for us makes the most sense because if you have a very tight schedule and have to be on time, you can use the design and if you have more time, you can start to really be creative with the construction kit or even combine the construction kit to get some details worked out but use the design counterpart as a basic for that.
1: You've also done a library you just released called uh, Cinematic Darkness. Right. It's quite different from some of the other libraries we talked about where you had a lot of, of, I guess, field recordings and uh, there wasn't that much, I guess, design to it in a way. Yeah. This one is very heavy on design. Can you describe how you do a library like this one?
2: Yeah, after the Cinematic trailers, which is, uh, as you just uh, said, rather re-recordings, reword fire bushes and uh, that sort of things, we still wanted to do another cinematic series library which fills all kind of cinematic trailer-ish sound effects. But we didn't want to double the content. So we thought, hey, let's do a cinematic darkness um, which is really s- focusing on super aggressive analog or digital synthesized sounds. So it's purely based on synthetic sounds this time. And we worked together with the studio, which has uh, a lot of very rare and super expensive uh, hardware stuff and recorded a lot of things there.
1: What's your inspiration for a library like that?
2: As with most libraries, we did some trailer sound work, which would need a very aggressive sound design. The cinematic trailers is rather organic and we wanted to do a companion featuring purely this synthetic style of trailer sound effects. Uh, Then we... Think about what we need first, and how we can add sounds that other users might need.
1: So in general, um, do you have a a certain process for deciding, like, we need to do this or that
3: kind of library now? Yeah, back then when we started, it was like, hey, what do we need for our everyday work at the dynamedian? And of course, things change. So nowadays, of course, we brainstorm and figure out crazy stuff and then we think, hey, uh, is there actually a chance to really do this? And then, of course, we have to, to see if we can get our hands on. Uh, on the other hand, uh, of course, we listen to our customers. Uh, so we, we did a poll to our customers on Facebook. Mm. And we got a top 10 list for upcoming stuff. So we get ideas from, from our customers what they do need for their everyday work. Oh, that's a good idea. So, And of course, we try to fill in gaps that we still see, though it's getting harder and harder, of course.
1: I'm seeing so many new libraries coming out almost daily or at least weekly. It must be a challenge to keep on finding those gaps.
2: Yeah. We still don't do any uh, market research, so we, uh, when we plan a library, we don't actually know exactly if someone else um, has released something similar or not.
3: It also can happen that during a production phase, somebody releases something that
2: you're currently working on. Also happens. So yeah. Michael and I just were in Utah like a month ago. Which was uh, after a long period of time organizing a session in Utah with uh, Silencer Co., which is the biggest manufacturer of silences in the United States. And they invented the first shotgun silencer as well and are the only producers of shotgun silences. Uh, and during our recording session, Frank Bry, the recordist um, who does awesome sound effects libraries, released or announced that he is currently doing a silencer library. So that's yeah, that's that. We, of course, will still release it and it might seem like we would copy it, but uh, that isn't the case.
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess that's the challenge with so many people doing uh, independent sound effect libraries now. Is there any way around that or is it just how it works, do you think?
3: I think that's the way it works. If you have, to, you have to make sure that you're getting the best stuff out there and it's the market who decides whether he likes it or not. So if you're doing good stuff, I think the people
2: will still go for it. A lot depends on character and originality, Uh, also on concepts, so what to put in a uh, package and what not, how big should it be, or is it too big, is it uh, too small, which we don't know from our products as well, but uh, we got pretty positive feedback, so we think we are on a good track. (laughs) Let's
1: say you do a new library, how do you decide when it's good enough, when you have something that's ready to
2: send out? Um, It's hard to tell. It's a, it's a far and back, actually, because uh, at one, one time you do have to release it because otherwise uh, you wouldn't be able to uh, pay the bills there. Yeah. On the other hand, once you did something, you always can do it better. Yeah,
3: Excel is Re- the one who's pushing the release and I'm the one who no, no, we can do this better.
1: <laughs> when I'm composing, for instance, I'm often composing for a certain project that a client has asked me to do, but you're basically inventing the product here. So yeah. there's no right and wrong in a way. There's nobody telling you th- this is how it has to be.
3: Yeah. yeah. Usually we set a, an an amount like we say we need to, the construction kit has to contain let's say three hundred sounds at least, and the design should be a hundred or more. So, so we usually we set a bar that we that is the minimum request for the libraries, and usually we we go over it. Yeah. And once the design is covered. That's usually when we say, okay, we think we're done, and then we, we release it.
2: For example, the cinematic trailers is a pretty good example, because uh, the designed version of the cinematic trailers has something like 150 single sounds, and it's uh, one sound per file, so it's really 150 sound effects. Um, and it took us, in the beginning, probably two full working days to produce one sound, and in the end, probably... At least one day, but a little bit quicker. So it was like 150 working days, at least rather 200 working days um, to produce only the designed version. But with uh, material we already recorded and cleaned and cropped and uh, edited. So a whole bundle is a whole lot of work. And at one time you have to say, that's what we can do now
1: as you get experience and stuff like that is really getting faster to do or?
2: yeah it is it's uh, about organization and and things so um that's something which is very important to organize and plan things very good uh before you even start to record i think yeah so that's something which imp- improves the the speed you can produce sound effects uh in a pretty big amount of yeah, it depends.
3: It depends. Um, you also get pickier and you know more stuff you can do to audio, so you get more into details and stuff. Uh, I'm not sure. Sometimes I'm really, still, really, really slow, and it can take up to, I don't know, a couple of hours to get a sound done. So it depends.
1: What do you think makes independent sound effects so useful to end users?
3: I think it's kind of useful if you don't have. Uh, opportunity to record something that somebody else can do for you and releases it uh, on an independent platform that's great otherwise it might save you some time if you can't record stuff and you can easily grab something somebody else already recorded for you so i think it's it's a nice addition to to our everyday work and it's always good to have a variety of sounds even if it's covering the same material so i think it's cool to have it
1: I listen to a lot of sound libraries in running a sound effect. And one of the things that sort of stand out when I listen to the stuff you you guys put out is that the the demos are consistently very, very uh, well made. Thank you. What's the importance of a demo and, and how do you put them together?
2: I mean, the f- it's the first impression. So it's the most important thing to get a library released or on a release. The demo has to be there because uh, that's the only thing people can listen to and uh, decide if it's something they need or not. But then we basically throw in sounds into Pro or whatever and search for some music which transports the right emotions which we want to have on a certain release or topic. And then we align those sounds to the music, compress a little bit to glue the music and sound effects together with focus on the sound effects, of course, and um, putting down the music rather low or extremely low, actually. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, And that's basically
1: it. How do you decide what sequence the, the sounds come up in?
2: It's more like a feeling, probably, like a DJ would do it on, on a set. Um, so when we think, hey, it's like one minute, uh, it lasted one minute, and I'm really bored, um, yeah. then we have to change, change something. And we do yeah. like internal reviews or send it to others and say, what do you think about that? And then Pierre comes in, for example, who uh, does no sound design at all, or not anymore, at least, and... Um, And here's a pretty critical, mind-concerning timing. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So he says, no, that's uh, shit. That's boring. Change it. (laughs) That's not fast enough or whatever. So we change it. Because you, as a sound designer, tend to um, play the files probably in a hole, which is super boring as a demo.
1: Do you have like a certain length you go for and you say, this is the perfect length for a demo?
2: Yeah, besides Amienses, which need to be longer because uh, an Amiens just works with uh, longer sequences, uh, we try to be around a minute, which doesn't work very often. So we go up to <laughs> like one minute and 30 seconds or something. Um, yeah. But we try to keep it around that. I mean, you want to show everything which uh, what is in a library to um, show what diversity and, and how much work you put into a, a product. But still... Um, you need to get the attention of people listening to it.
1: Where do you find the music? Is it just something you have in an internal catalog? or
2: Yes, Dynamedian actually has a huge online licensing music library, which is uh, sonicliberty.com, to do a little bit of promotion. <laughs> um, which are like over 3,000, 2,000 tracks, more than 2,000 tracks. And I have it on my hard drive here and uh, use everything from there. That's great. Yeah, because it
1: does really help a lot, doesn't it, with, with the music? Yeah.
2: yeah, it does. What's your
1: most popular
2: library? Oh, the best-selling product is uh, the Cinematic Trailer's library, actually. Okay. Um, which is four years old now.
1: Why do you think that is the case? Do you think it's because it's been out so long? or? Uh,
2: we actually don't really know. Probably it was uh, the first library at all, which was not on a license base uh, out on the market, which really focuses on, on real trailer sound effects. Probably the name is catchy. <laughs> yeah. And it's very diverse again. So it has like bushes, impacts, some drones and ambiences and fire and wood and uh, all kind of things. So it's uh,
1: it's very sort of broad. It covers a lot of places yeah. I guess.
2: And number two is the medieval weapons library. Okay. Any hints on what's coming next from Boom? We talked about the silences library so this will definitely come up but it still will take some time because we are currently pretty busy with another library which is uh, footsteps in a very interactive way so playable footsteps on a keyboard actually which will be next up at boom so uh that's that's the plan right now at least yeah 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 then we do the so we already did record the silences but uh, we have to uh, edit them and that's a topic we uh, start after the footsteps are uh, completely finished And then we already started with a horror library which will be organic or or focusing on organic uh, horror-ish sounds, uh, shocker elements and that sort of things.
1: So it sounds like there's a lot of good stuff coming up from you guys. It's always exciting when you're releasing new stuff because uh, yeah, you know the the quality is good. So um, I look forward to the next uh, release from Boom.
3: Thanks a lot, guys.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having us.
1: This is a security announcement. For security reasons, and due to the risk of theft, passengers are requested not to leave their baggage and personal belongings unattended at any time.
0: I recently went to Tokyo, Japan, to visit an old friend currently living and working there. I was going mainly as a tourist, but of course I couldn't help it. I had to bring some field recording equipment. Japan is somewhere I've always wanted to go, And even though I could only stay a week and most of that in Tokyo, I knew that it would be an incredible experience. Because Japan always stood for me as a place of immense cultural depth, I guess, with that particular contrast between the very old and the very new. So, I intended to take in as much of it as I could, and to document the experience with as many photos and hours of sound as I could possibly collect. Naturally, I couldn't wait to press record, so as soon as I boarded the plane, I whipped out my little recorder and I stuffed it in the mesh pocket in the seat in front of me. That wasn't ideal, but I wasn't going to sit there with a blimp anyway. I hadn't even brought my usual MS rig and mixer. I'd already decided to focus on recording atmospheres and ambiences mainly, and to do that I needed a rig that was inconspicuous and portable. So, most of the trip I just had a spaced Omni setup with two little electrodes mounted to a camera bag, about 10 inches apart, maybe. It worked well enough. After recording some in air sounds, including the lavatory, I was itching to get on the ground. And finally, it was wheels down in Narita Airport, Japan. This little clip is on the moving walkway from the gate to the arrivals and you will notice the audible warning that the walk is ending. In Copenhagen airport you only get a sign and only in Danish and English. Also note the lovely ambient music going on here. I had many more moments like this or better during my stay. After being greeted by my friend at Shinjuku Station, one of the busiest train stations in the world, I was a bit shell-shocked. From the perspective of a Dane, Tokyo is of course vast. It is also incredibly physically dense. In many of the residential housings I saw, You could almost lean out of a window and touch the neighbouring building. And a soccer field on the school roof? Sure. Half an hour by train to the western parts of the city and things got quieter though. From Kyoto Station to my friend's small apartment in an area of two-storey homes, the city gradually became almost silent. The streets are short and narrow here, and houses close together. So sounds appear almost out of nowhere, and they disappear like that again, gone around the corner. Still in the quiet department, we find the Buddhist temples and Shinto shrines all over Tokyo. In a local Buddhist cemetery, I experienced a special kind of quiet rooted in certain sounds. For one thing, temples and shrines are always surrounded by trees here. So that's where the whooshing sounds you're hearing are coming from. But there is another sound, like a clacking wooden sound. This is of the Sotoba, wooden boards inscribed with the names of the dead standing in racks behind the stone monuments of family graves. And when there is enough wind, they move back and forth, making this sound. Together with the cawing of the huge black crows found at all temples and in parks here, this holy place is a very special listening experience. But religion can be noisy too, as heard in this clip of the biannual Shintoist Kanda Festival, which we accidentally stumbled upon in an already noisy and intense Akihabara. It was quite a party. Akihabara is more known for its electronics, its anime, and its general geekery, though, which you guessed it, tends to be noisy. Here's a short clip from a video game arcade, pretty intense, and people are actually allowed to smoke in there too. Check it out. Another noisy spot in Tokyo is the whole area around Shinjuku Station. There are too many weird and wonderful things to see and do there, so I just want you to hear this from the cheap junk and novelties emporium known as Don Quixote. It's cheap, it's silly, it's incredibly cramped in there, and of course they play a different song or video ad in every aisle. Pure madness. Generally, the Japanese soundscape I heard is a strange thing, almost schizophrenic. On one hand, you have blissfully quiet suburbs and holy places. On the other hand, the inner city can be infernal. Audio advertising is everywhere. Billboards for booming loud music videos all over the place. Shop staff doing the town crier thing on every street corner. Yet it's never truly in-your-face personal. This became most clear, traveling by train in the morning rush, where passengers are literally pushed into the carriages. You've probably seen the pictures or the videos. Like sardines in a barrel. I was physically rubbing shoulders with at least five other people. Like the mosh pit at a metal concert, except no one said a word. No phone calls, no quiet conversations, nothing. It was dead quiet in there except for the train sounds. In the same way, I probably heard a car horn twice, in a week. Tokyo has a lot of things. Certainly intense, but not aggressive. The last recording I want to share is from the Tsukiji fish market. Easily the high point of my sightseeing activities. It also exemplifies a problem every field recorder probably knows. That sight and sound is not the same. Now, I like these sounds of voices, styrofoam crates being handled, concrete floors being hosed down and so on. For me, they connect directly to the other sensory memories I have of that place. The light in there, the many strange sea creatures on display, and the smell of sea and fresh fish. To someone else, though, they might be less obvious. And another problem, the language. I brought home over 10 hours of sound. And for all I know it could be full of remarks about that goofy-looking Gajin thinking he's so clever with his little recorder with the cute windscreens. I simply have no idea. But that's how it is. Wherever I go though, I always find that field recording enhances the experience for me. Just forcing yourself to stand still in the same spot for just 5 minutes lets you experience everything in much more depth. I barely ever wore headphones either. I just set my level safely and let things happen. You can't really control anything in a setting like that anyway. Just let go and listen. I feel like I barely scratched the surface of what Japan has to offer, and not just in terms of sound. There's so much more to see and hear, and I'm certainly not done. I haven't even told you about my first taste of real Japanese ramen, or how much better the sushi is, or how well the whole train system works.
1: Thanks a lot to Christian for this uh, fantastic journey to Japan. It was really great to hear the sounds of the
0: the country and, and Tokyo in particular. And um, I think that's pretty much it, right? Yep. Oh, actually, there's one more thing. Um, we thought we'd celebrate uh, the launch of this podcast by having a giveaway, actually. And we're going to uh, to have a random draw among the subscribers to the Sound Effect SoundCloud and also um, subscribers on YouTube to the podcast. And uh, the lucky winner will uh, get to choose uh, two libraries from the uh, Hertz & Bits catalog.
1: The winner is announced on July 1st. So if you want the chance to win uh, two libraries from Hertz & Bits, it's just uh, a question of subscribing to either the SoundCloud channel or the YouTube channel.
0: Yeah, or both. <laughs> or
1: both. Yeah, or both, yes. double yes, your chances. Uh, double your chances. <laughs> twice, twice the fun.
0: <laughs> yep. Uh, and of course, we'll uh, announce the details of this little competition on soundeffect.com slash podcast. And uh, naturally, the winners will uh, be announced there too. So, that's it. Thank you a lot for listening, and uh, see you next time. See ya.